Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. On this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ed Harcourt. Ed joins me to talk about his most recent collaboration supergroup-type project, Loop Guru, uh, which features Cass Brown of Senseless Things and Gorillas and Richard Jones of The Feeling. Ed also talks about his writing and recording process and how he approaches his solo albums. Um, I've been a fan of Ed's music since the first EP, so it was an absolute joy to speak to him. I've put links to his music and Loop Gurus in the show notes, so please make sure you check that out because it's awesome. Just before we hit the interview, here are all the ways you can support the podcast. You can follow me on the socials, and those links are in the show notes. Also, if you want to buy me a virtual coffee, that would be amazing. And the link to that is also in the show notes. And lastly, if you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast, that would be brilliant and it really helps. So that's it for the waffle. Here's Ed. Welcome to the podcast, Ed Harcourt. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm juggling a lot of things and spinning plates at the moment, but it's good. Whereabouts good. are you? So I'm actually sitting at my piano in the in, in my studio, the Wolf Cabin. Uh, I've sort of seem to be making a lot about four or five different records at the same time for projects of my own and then projects for other people. So, so it's good, but it's kind of, you have to learn, you have to teach yourself how to not, not um, trip over yourself and let it overwhelm you. Yes. Uh, is it easier now that things are starting to sort of unlock or have unlocked or is this I've kind really of- seen it. I've sort of seen it today was a really great day because when I lived, I moved out. I moved out of London four and a half years ago, and um, where where I lived in London was sort of West W10, just north of Labbrook Grove on the Harrow Road. And um, I used to do a lot of boxing at the All Stars and train there. And and the Holy Trinity day would be basically going boxing at nine in the morning, and then go to the Porchester Turkish Baths and have a sort of steam and a sauna mm. and just chill, and then go to the Cow. And have a thing called the cow special, which is a pint of Guinness with six oysters, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then have the fish stew. And then if it was kind of Saturday, and if I was allowed out, we'd probably play poker till about seven in the evening. At which point we'd probably be pretty kind of soused, as you say. Hmm. And um, it, it, and today we did that for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, we went to the we did I went boxing with with Rich from Luke Guru, who's one of my best friends, and. And then we went to the Porchester and then we went to the cow and had a quick lunch and had a Guinness. And, and it was just kind of like, oh, my God, you know, the, we haven't done this for so long. And it, and it is quite extravagant and quite a delight. But yeah. um, it just I noticed everywhere I was and I've noticed everywhere. Even kind of driving back to Oxfordshire and stopping off at the service station. Yes, people, some people have masks on, some people don't. But it does feel I don't know. I don't know. It feels like maybe we've got to some kind of point where kind of getting easier. I'm mm. not sure, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good opportunity for you now as well to get, get back at it on the road or maybe just, you know, out promoting stuff. And, and, and this yeah. latest project or the most latest project you're dealing with, the, uh, the Loop Guru, um, yeah. the super band kind of meaty projects that you've got. I mean, that's the only way yeah. I could describe the album is it's <laughs> solid, isn't it? Um, it really is yeah I mean it's been I mean you know the funny thing is that we you know we we didn't even spend that much time in the studio making it Mm. but 
it's sort of happened over the last sort of three, four years. And it was, it's just, <laughs> I don't know, you know, we went on this tour with Supergrass just as the pandemic started. Um, I think our last date was at, at um, Ali Pali on the 7th of March. And then about two weeks later was the first lockdown. And it was just the timing of it was just <laughs> so mm. bad. It was insane. So this is yeah. Cass. This is Cass Brown from Gorillas and Senseless Things, and your yeah. your, your buddy Richard Jones, who would, most people would probably recognise from the feeling. And yeah. you, you know, I mean, how does how did it come about? How did you guys instigate so, this thing? What happened was I, I I made this record called Furnaces with the producer Flood, and, and and it was quite kind of a little bit of a departure from what I'd done before, and it it was a lot louder, a lot angrier, and heavier. Um, a lot more experimental and I it came out on Polydor and that didn't really work out. And, and then I moved me I just you know, by chance moved out of London and built this studio. I just had a few songs that were kind of lying around that were from that era. And one day Rich came up and we sort of had a few ales and kind of talked into the night and I was playing him a couple of songs, one of them being Gallon Distemper and painter of trophies and mm. i kind of said i don't really know what to do with these you know and we kind of suddenly had this little kind of ping moment <laughs> a little bit like uh in Step Brothers, you know where john c Riley and will ferrell kind of they kind of are we gonna be best friends you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we, we kind of like and we both looked at each other and said wait a minute we love each other and we've played together a few times but not in anything that we've ever you know really connected on and why don't we just form a band? And then we were thinking, well, we need a drummer. And then um, the, we both knew Cass and we just thought, actually, that would, he wasn't doing too much. Or I don't know, he was near, lived near Rich and we thought, let's ask him. And then what happened was I went on tour with the Afghan Wigs around the US and I came back and literally about five days later, they rocked up, they kind of turned up at my house and we went into the wolf cabin, my studio, and kind of just, sort of set stuff up in a kind of tentative you know sort of circling each other kind of way and um but then we started playing and it was absolutely insane I couldn't believe I don't know what it was it was it was like with three quite different people but we just when we get together there's this mad um symbiotic thing that happens and I think Cass is the feel of it you know the way he plays drums he's got an incredible feel and and it's very kind of it, it's not your standard thing. And Rich is kind of like the pillar and the foundation. Mm. You know, he's, he's like the John Entwistle. And, and, you know, there is a bit of a, the who or cream or that kind of thing going on. And I'm kind of, I'm mainly a piano player, but I'm playing baritone and electric guitar. And so I'm sort of still feeling my way. So a lot of the time, I don't really know what I, I'm doing, but they really do. But for some reason it works. Yeah. So we, I, I end up playing like different chords, but then Rich is playing different bass lines. And then suddenly, and we'll do that for about five minutes and then we'll sort of look at each other and go, right, stop record. And then we'll sift through the recording and find the bits that we love. And then a song suddenly formulates. And then I get on a microphone and throw in a melody or whatever, or casters or, you know, and Rich is, um, I've always said, you know, it's quite funny because Rich is, Rich has to put up with me and Cass being the sort of idiots, you know, r- jumping around the room. Um, it's like sort of one Ernie Wise and two Eric Morecambe's, you know. <laughs> uh, 
And so, so you know, he, but he's just Rich is such an integral part of the band, and and he's it's, it's so he he's really amazing with arrangement. And so Cass and I are more kind of just throwing ideas at the wall to mm. see what sticks, you know. And it's so, all yeah, collab- I, it's, it's all collaborative. Then you're kind of all pitching in. Yeah, although there's been like a couple of songs where Cass has written it a few and I've written a few, you know, and then we just elevate it. Um, and then there's been probably half of the album we've written together and half of it is me and half of it, and a quarter of it is me and a quarter is Cass, you know. What a great, exciting thing to do though, especially when It's really got, exciting. Yeah. It's very exciting. It's been, it's just been a bit kind of difficult because we sort of, it started out, you know, the pandemic really kind of, uh, it really put the, the kibosh on on a lot of things so like for everyone you know yeah you know we we're the funny thing is we are a new band but we've been around for so long we've been you know we've been in so many different bands since the 90s you know so and um, you've got the the single the illusionist is out isn't it that came out yeah this week and you've got a beer as well i mean this is must be heaven yes we have a beer (laughs) we have a beer that's so we're playing okay so do i need to talk in the past tense perhaps potentially yes <laughs> yeah we have and have had a beer <laughs> and it's called strange lands wolf moon ipa and it's a it's a we went in there it's based on the signature brew uh we kind of followed the same template as the roadie which is a great i think it was the roadie ipa and we but we've added a, you know when we were there we added a bit of orange zest and they've added some blood blood orange so it's a blood orange ipa mm-hmm. and there'll be about there, there would have been about on that night, uh, I guess, two hundred and fifty pints. Hope, you know, hopefully consumed. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, I actually worked with Sign- Signature Brew about ten years ago. I did a beer with them uh, called Dark Heart, which was a six point eight percent sort of. It was kind of a cross between a porter and a brown ale. And someone once uh, commented that when they drank it, it felt like a kind of heavy fog. Sort of went over their face. <laughs> sort of like what the, you want. Sort of like, yeah, sort of like the Grim Reaper's cloak, just sort of shrouding them, you know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, which, which made me proud. Yeah. I mean, this um, Loop Guru, is, is this kind of something that you're going to keep, keep, keep on with? Is it like um, you, you're planning already to do sort of more recordings together? Oh, definitely. I mean, we've already, we're about halfway through the second record. Oh, brilliant. Um, it was, you know, it's been, it's been, quite testing because we're doing everything ourselves we recently departed from our management literally around the um just after the album came out because you know it 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 came out to sort of hardly any fanfare and there's sort of no money and we're kind of doing it it's a real labor of love so it's been quite difficult Mm. to get it off the ground and we've kind of relied on we've actually but people do really love the record so that's why we do get people approaching us and asking, you know, like yourself and asking us to, to, you know, be involved in some shape or form. And um, it's just, it's just been quite difficult. And we're sort of doing, I'm not very good at doing all the admin stuff and the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm a bit spoiled. I sort of had it for so long. I always had other record labels and other people doing it. So it's very DIY. It's quite sort of, we do, we are doing it on a kind of um, working with tune core, and Bandcamp and mm. um, doing, you know, the vinyl was complete, so completely delayed. So it's not coming out until April. It's meant to come out, obviously, in October. It was delayed by six months because of COVID, mm. because of all the factories backed up. And 
so we're having to kind of explain to uh, a few disgruntled fans who have bought the vinyl um you know that, that it's delayed but um you know there's nothing we can do about it so yeah. uh, it, it is very much a cottage industry um uh so we try not to let that get in the way of you know being creative we were here in the studio on monday and we just kind of jammed uh for about three hours and came up with four songs you know just yeah. in that three hours and it was fantastic but well, those constraints so, of record companies in, in like in the traditional sense so it went once you've kind of de-shackled from that and you've got your own kind of um fingers on uh like social media and, and yeah. as a promotional tool for the for what you're doing there it's it's just a, you know you're reaching the fans instantly and and obviously that's going to generate interest that you can control other than you know record companies speak on your behalf we have complete control and that's really important um and you know we found we have found various people that don't work in the confines of you know a major record label or, or that kind of ilk that that we're working with really well and um you know Cass as well he's he's fantastic at all Cass does all the artwork and because he does he's done so much stuff with gorillas and senseless things mm. uh, he's kind of like a sort of renaissance man and he's very good at the whole multimedia thing and that for me is just completely flies out of my head I'm I'm almost a luddite in a way Oh, yeah. so I, I, I literally just sit at the fucking piano and just, <laughs> you know or, or guitar or, or the deck or the mixing desk and make records I, I just other than that I'm I'm just not very adept at it you know this is the same thing I'm I know what I'm supposed to do with this podcast and everything and I, I just can't I can't do it, it it's like a post there's an episode what more do you want from me <laughs> it, it's it's, yeah. it's hard I think well, we're a similar age I'm for, I'm first of September 77 I think you're August no way so, yeah, we're, so we're, you're literally like basically yeah. two weeks uh, younger than me. I enjoy it, but it is, yeah. it's a pain and I, I don't know. It is a pain. I mean, yeah, we're 44. I mean, for, yeah. you know, like, it's, we're not the like, right age. You know, the kids, our kids, have you got kids? Yes. Yeah, I've got two. Like, how many have you got? How old are they? Two boys, eight and eight and 11 going on. Yeah. 16. So my, my son is 10, nearly 11. My daughter's 13. Yeah. And, you know, they've grown up not knowing. I mean, they never knew a world without social media or or, or what you're meant to do or how you're meant. To, I mean, text. I, I don't. Bro, take me back to 1998 when I had a pager. Yeah. those are the days well i used to walk down to the bottom of the road and, and used to pay phone i mean that's how i used to yeah i used to pay phone <laughs> i went out with a, i had a girlfriend in new york i used to go to the i lived on uh wilson lane I, there was a pay phone on there i used to go to the pay phone and call her from that yeah <laughs> different uh, times Send, sending a pigeon or call, something call collect of course <laughs> yeah. going back a bit if you don't mind Ed, to just um you know, you've written many albums and um, I wanted to ask you um, how you approached each of those albums. And was there a process for like, and they're not concept albums, but do you approach them differently or did you approach them differently? I think uh, I approached them. I think back in the day, I didn't really approach them with any concept in mind. It was just kind of, I think the reason for that is that I, between about 1998 and 2000 I was down in Sussex and working as a chef and I had a lot of down I had a few days you know I lived with my grandmother in this old rambling farmhouse and I used when I had days off all I did was write I just wrote and wrote and wrote and so by the time 
two years later, by the time I got to 2000, when I started to EMI, I'd accumulated, you know, I don't know, a thousand songs. And it was crazy. And I had all these songs just sitting there. So basically the first, almost the first two, three albums, which basically, actually, I'm, bas- I'm digging myself a hole here because it's basically saying, well, what, what, how many songs are on an album? 11, 12. So only 36 songs out of those, a thousand songs were good. You know? <laughs> but um, that's probably true. No, but they, they ended up being, I don't know, used. Or it was me trying to experiment all the ideas. And most of the time I was trying to recreate my demos on my first three records. Then um, I started to think about concepts after that. But because I was still on a major I always had delusions of grandeur. So I'd kind of, when I did The Beautiful Lie, which is my fourth record, I think um, that was originally going to be a double record, a double album. Yeah. And I just remember Jeff and Martin saying, uh, no, bloody no, it's too expensive. (laughs) But I'd already done it. They'd given me a budget and I'd already recorded like 24 songs, you know. Because you were like four tracking it for for the first kind of few EPs, and you were very traditional in the sense of you were putting you were playing on everything, most instruments and everything, weren't you as well? So, yeah. So basically, I taught. I, I basically it was out of necessity, really. I, I kind of because I was on my own. There was no one else around apart from met this incredible musician called Hadrian Garrard, who's a trumpet player, and he would come down to Sussex and record on my four track, and that's where stuff on Maplewood came from. Like like he's building a swamp and. Mm. Whistle the distant train and you know all the stuff that i was listening to at the time it was mainly i mean i was listening to everything really but mainly what made me start writing on the piano and writing songs was tom waits and and then i was listening to eels and sparkle horse so a lot of kind of american alternative music mm. but always music that had melody but it was sort of uh scattered and and soulful and heartfelt but dark and weird and surreal and and that kind of totally spoke to me and it it completely tied into everything that I was all the films that I was into from Vim Vendors and Jim Jarmusch to all the you know books that I was into uh the classics and reading Hunter S. Thompson and um Raymond Carver and Bukowski and all that kind of stuff so yeah I was very heavily influenced by I wasn't particularly influenced by a huge amount of English music or English literature sort of kind of hopped over the pond a little bit mm. but then I've come back and started to appreciate a lot of English music and English literature and you know so it kind of everything flips on it as you get older you start to your influences change you know yeah yeah I was thinking about those albums and and how visual they were you know you could all you you could almost see them that's a wonderful thing to say because I I feel like you know like I've always wanted to try and write visually and, and, and think of, you know, imagine some short stories or, con- you know, I think I've always tried to write music for imaginary films in my yes, head. Yes, yes. And, and, and I'm such a, I love, like most people, you know, I'm a film buff and I'm, I'm a huge cinema fan. And that's why I've, you know, tried, been trying to, I've done four film soundtracks uh, for, for kind of more independent films, but I've been trying to get my foot in the door in that world and, I'm desperate to get a sort of something I could get my, my teeth into, like a, I don't know, a big horror film would be great. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would. It's perfect. I mean, it, I wouldn't want to use the word macabre, but it, 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 there's a claustrophobia to some of the tracks, and there's a, a you know, even from like the creakiness, and it is the cabiny kind of feel to it. Mm. Or you could definitely feel like a 
Um, I know a Sam Raimi soundtrack coming on and some of it. I don't know. Def- oh, yeah. No, I'm glad <laughs> you said that. I mean, that's something that I would... Um, I just... You know, I've I've done a couple of films with Frank Whaley, uh, American actor who who's also a great director and he's such a great guy and um I'm hoping to work with him again and I think a lot of the time that that's the key is like you've got to find your director uh, if you're going to be a film composer you've got to find your one director that you work with. It's a bit like um Darren Ar- Ar- Aronofsky with uh, Clint Mansell, you know, or David Fincher with Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, yeah. you know. So yeah. you sort of need to find your your guy i veer like album to album i sort of veer it's almost like writing albums is a bit like having mood swings you know? yeah you sort of write you write one album that's really upbeat and and, and happy and then the next time you write a, a terrible despairing album of whoa and then after that it kind of you bounce back again and um and i think that's good it's good to be kind of it's good to kind of uh hop around the different you know it's good I, you wouldn't want to be um pigeonholed you know as one particular mm. composer or artist or singer i i think i don't i think it's okay to be diverse you know i mean i've been inspired to do something i mean I, i've not played in a proper band for for a while since about 2018 and, and just listening mm. to sort of and i've got some fantastic friends and musicians and we did stuff back in the day and and um it, yeah, it's inspiring to see people come together and do something completely different. But with with you know, I've been a fan of heavy rock and metal for all my life. But I've yeah. always been into indie and and or everything. And just just to let that part of you out every now and again, it's just it's so yeah. freeing. And I just think, God, I'd love to do something with a with where I you know tune down the top E a bit and just <laughs> go for it. Um, That's really um interesting because Rich and I today were literally just walking down we're literally just chatting and we both said you know it's great having it's great that we both have Luke Guru because it made me realize that having Luke Guru like we have both of us having Luke Guru we can have an outlet for the Mm. sort of darker heavier um you know inclinations that that we really love and you know we both grew up loving metal and rock even though I'm a piano player and I'm sort of balladeer I've always had a soft spot for for rock and roll and 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 heavy heavy rock and metal, yeah. So um, it's it's nice. Not the Luke Guru and metal in any way, but we're we're not really. We're more sort of you know epic windswept gothic indie rock. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's great having that outlet because it made me because I've just finished my own solo record and it's very piano based and it's it's quite poppy um, and it's very different to Luke Guru and it just made me kind of feel like. Well, I don't have to kind of, I don't have to continue what I did on furnaces or anything like that. I can kind of just, I have that outlet mm. with Luke, with Luke Guru. But so it's, it's very much a, it's quite sort of, it's very nice to have, to know that you can do that. And you, you've been doing indulgence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you, you've been doing a lot of collaborations as well. And that's another sort of facet to what you do, um, writing with other musicians and, and stuff. And then that whole process what does that collaborative process mean to you and all these, like from Catherine Williams to Paloma Catherine, Faith? Yeah, so Catherine Williams is, is just, you know, she's incredible. Uh, literally before you called to interview me, I was literally a Zoom with her chatting about a song. We're, at the moment, we're working on a record for a, a Swedish singer called Peter Joback, who's a very kind of mainstream Swedish singer and huge in Sweden. And Catherine and I and Peter are kind of, writing all the songs for his next record. So 
we're just flip-flopping and, and, and bouncing off each other and constantly texting. And she, out of anyone I've ever worked with, I've never seen anyone write lyrics so quickly and write such amazing words. And it's, she's a poet. We work so well together. I was saying to her last night, we were on the phone, and not that we could ever, you know, scale the those heights. Or, but I was kind of like, we're like Goffin and King, but but the opposite way around because I'm basically writing all the music and the melody, and she's doing all the lyrics, you know. Yeah. And she's doing a lot of the melody, and and you know, we're kind of, I don't know, sort of finishing each other's sentences musically. But she, she's, um, I just love working with her, and um, I don't know, we've just totally work so well together um and we've done it we've been working together for almost a decade so wow and i've just produced her new record which is I, I, it's one of my favorite records i've ever done um it's so good it's it's amazing and i can't wait for people to hear it it's beautiful and really different to a lot of her records i think so and we did it here in the wolf cabin so your your solo album, then your new one. What, is there anything you can tell us about that? Obviously, it's piano driven, but it, yeah. What, so what was, how did you approach the writing on this one? So my solo album is called El Magnifico, and <laughs> it stems from a song that I had when my son was born. I wrote a song called El Magnifico, and I had a delusion again, a sort of delusional idea about I'd, I'd done this album called Luster with Ryan Hadlock. And he told me he had a studio in Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. And I was like, oh, let's do a mariachi album. And I wrote a couple of sort of Spanish-y kind of songs. And I wrote this song called El Magnifico, but it basically was me. I was going out. I was still going out and being, not being a responsible adult. And um, even after my son was born, and but kind of juggling that. And then I suddenly had a realisation that I needed to change my life. But I was writing this song it was a bit kind of like every time I came in through the door, I felt like a complete schmuck. But when I came through the door, my kids were just giving this unconditional love. Mm. And I couldn't, and I, it, it sort of, I still felt guilty, but it just made, I just couldn't believe it. And um, I couldn't believe my luck. And so I kind of started writing this song about being a sort of, you know, stupid idiot. And which I think quite a lot of my songs are about. <laughs> and, um, just you know self-deprecating thing and and so I had the song I played it live a huge amount of times but I had never recorded it and it was just sitting there and then um I started writing pretty much the whole album over the from the beginning of the pandemic so the last two years I didn't want to write a record that was gonna that anyone wouldn't know that was influenced by being in lockdown or being isolated or being shut off and mm-hmm. or going mad and looking at the looking at the you know recycling at the end of the week and being like jesus christ that is a lot of tequila you know or whatever <laughs> or whiskey and uh yeah so the, the songs just started formulating and formulating and then basically suddenly i had like a collection of songs that were good and and i there's two duets on the album proper duets um oh, one cool. one with a male singer and one with a female who i've both worked with and then I went down to Dave Izumi Lynch, who did some mixing. I've worked with, he did Time of Dust and he's mixed Catherine's record. And so I've worked with him so much. And we just started to kind of, over the last year, just kind of, I don't even know. It's really hard to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's just, it's so, I've sent it to a few people who I trust. And 
they just said it's kind of an amalgamation of everything I've done and um and it's it I think it sounds like happy music for sad people that's not scheduled at all at this stage I mean you're you're hoping to get out of this no, year I mean I'd like to get it out by the end of the year but I've got to find a label so I've got this great new manager uh who looks after the cribs and a few other people and we're going to start you know looking for labels and so yeah I really you know I've made this whole thing here in the wolf cabin and then with Dave so I've made it on no budget but but I recorded the strings in my local church um, and uh, three of my uh, extended family members are string players so um so yeah I've kind of done it on a wing and a prayer really and uh, it does sound amazing it it really does and um and there's one track on the record that really ties into Luke Guru and Furnaces so there's a sort of connection there which you know which had to there had to be some kind of connection I think you, are you on tour with Luke, Luke Guru or is this no is... we haven't we, we're basically we're doing this gig on, well we, we've done this gig on Friday and then um uh we're going to we're, we'd like to we're trying to sort of get on a few tours but it just seems like everything is starting up very slowly yes. so I guess we've got to be quite tentative but we've got a couple of festivals coming up in the summer we're playing uh, a festival there's a couple of yeah there's a couple of little boutiques at festivals one of them being Lilo Palooza yeah, and then another one in Cornwall with the Manic Street Preachers, I think. Oh, wicked. Um, yeah, so that would be fun. And so, yeah, we've got a few things on the horizon, which is great. And um, I think we, we just want to get out. You know, we just want to, yeah, we really want to get out there. We, we did a show at the Lexington in October, and it was just seeing the audience, you know, seeing their reaction, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. It felt it felt pretty righteous. So we, we know that we've got that... Uh, capability you know that capacity to blow people's heads off live you know oh, hopefully i can get to see you guys play i mean i i'm i'm down in southampton so i really hope i can oh cool is the joiners still going it is yeah yeah it oh, is great yeah we should come and play the joiners then come and play the joiners yes. yeah i'll be there and i mean i've i i think i did my first gig at the joiners yeah i played the joiners in 1996 i think i'm trying to think if i saw you at the joiners but i don't think i did i think i saw you First time I saw you was at the, the Portsmouth. Wed- I think it was Wedgwood Rooms. Oh God! Yeah, I hope it wasn't the one where everyone walked out. No, I think it was the it was a Halloween one. Uh, oh, the Halloween one. Yeah, that was fine. I played a show. I think after that, that was back in the day where I didn't really know any better, and I basically drank two bottles of red before I went on stage, <laughs> and 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 something. I don't know what happened. I went into a meltdown. I couldn't remember anything. It was a nightmare. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember anything. I had to put up a huge apology. Oh. And uh, I vowed after that gig never to, to ever do that again. So, well, and, I ne- and I never did. But, you it, know, it, was, it, was, it happens uh, to all bad. of us, doesn't it? I mean, my, tra- uh, yeah, my, it was my rude... trousers fell down uh, on stage. So, that, I mean, it can't that's be anywhere. That's fine. That's performance art, man. <laughs> that's that awesome. was after too much wine as You've well. You've got to give the people what they want. <laughs> they didn't want it. They really <laughs> didn't. <laughs> well... Ed, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks, thanks so much for your time. It's been fascinating yeah, to hear about stuff. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take care. Cheers, man. Bye. Bye.